Principal Matters Podcast, episode 272. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. And this week, I'm joined again by my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who is the assistant superintendent at Dublin City Schools. And today, Jen, we're going to be talking about thoughts on thankfulness and answering more principal questions. So Principal Matters listeners, as we step into this week's episode, you may or may not be on your Thanksgiving break. And so Jen, I thought it would just be kind of meaningful to start the conversation with some gratitude. You know, both of us have been influenced by educators in our professional roles as educators. And so offline, we were just both thinking about what were some of those stories that resonate with each of us and inspire us in our leadership. And so I wanted to invite you to go there with me first and just talk about some folks that you might want to express gratitude towards when you are thinking about Thanksgiving. Well, and I love this idea, Will, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Now, full disclosure, when we were offline, I needed a minute, didn't I? Because I I thought, well, there's so many things to be grateful for. Uh, not only the work that I, my life has, has led me to do, but also just, you know, going back to when I was four years old and, and my first preschool teacher who smelled like graham crackers and vanilla and let me use the tricycles whenever I wanted. So, um, you know, that starting from when I was three and then now being still being a student, I I'm learning so much from, from teachers. So I do have a couple stories to share. Did you want me to, um, go first or you? No, you go first. Okay. Um, my, I, I have a couple stories to tell. One is as a student and um, I, I have always struggled a little bit as a math student. I know many, many say that as well. It was just the, the concepts of mathematics didn't come easily to me. I had to work really, really hard at it. And I always felt like that was my problem, right? It was always my problem, something I had to work through. And, and I managed for many years of school through memorization and just, you know, sheer hard work. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Warwick and, you know, he saw me struggling and he said to me, Hey, I'm here every day at six 30. Why don't you come on in and I'll help you. And I felt this incredible sense of guilt. Like this man was going to get up really early and come to school to hang out with me and teach me how, where the X and the Y went on the equation. Right. And, um, so I kind of tentatively mentioned it to my dad and he said, well, that's exactly what's what a good teacher does. Let's, let's do it. And so he would drive me. It was a long drive on, on dark country roads where I grew up and he would drive me and drop me off at Triway high school. And Mr. Warwick would work with me for about 45 minutes before class. And, you know, with mathematics, once you get the conceptual understanding, you're ready to fly. And, and so I was able to do that. And I had him the next year in trigonometry and I had him the year after in um, calculus. And he had the same mindset, you know, if, it, if a student struggles, I'll be here, you just come and we'll work through it together. And I, I think about that a lot, even today about the, the hours he put in to make sure that some farm girl from, from Wayne County knew where the X should go in the equation. So. Oh, I love Very that grateful. story. Well, I'll tell a story of gratitude about Mr. Adams, who in my middle school years did so many things. He wore so many hats. He was a coach. He was a math teacher and a reading teacher. And so he had all kinds of of curriculum and extracurricular activities that he managed. And I was just one of those kids, Jen, that um, I called myself the roller coaster student because if I was interested, I was 
great, engaged, and could make really good grades. And if I wasn't interested, I was off in some crazy zone, like, you know, Calvin and Hobbes off in the imaginary world until a teacher could reel me back in. And so Mr. Adams was that guy who would literally track me down during lunch and say, Will, do you realize that there's this quiz or there's this assignment or something you didn't finish when you get done with lunch? Or actually, I want you to take your lunch and bring it to my room. And I want to sit with you and help you finish. And part of the reason he probably did that is so that I could still play basketball, because if I, <laughs> if I, wasn't, <laughs> right. if I wasn't making a good grades, he wasn't going to let me play. And so, but that was just my way of being, of being parented and shepherded by my teachers you know, in more than just the skills of school, but also just those things that that extra mile that teachers go to make sure that you're doing um, doing things right. And I remember one day we were reading a passage in a poem during reading class, and some the poem itself was trying to express um, something about the taste of water. And and this will sound really weird, Jen, but I grew up rural Northwest Tennessee, and um, I mean, we, the, the first place that we lived in, when we moved to Tennessee, um, we, we would dig, we, we dug a spring and would actually fetch water from that spring for several months before my dad dug the well for the house that we lived in. And so we were backwoods. And I remember when we were reading that poem, um, something was said about the taste of water. And Mr. Adams made the comment that water doesn't have taste. And I raised my hand. And I was so confused and I was like, I don't understand what you mean water doesn't have taste because when we draw water from the spring, it's the best tasting water I've ever had. And he, it was one of those moments that he could have taken a lot of directions, but he looked at me and he smiled and he said, William, not everybody has had the opportunity to be raised like you and, and live in the, with the kind of, of adventures that you have. I'm sure there are some students in here who don't know how good spring water tastes. And I was, you know, that was one of those moments where we just went on to the conversation. But years later, as an adult, when I look back at that, I thought, what a sensitive, kind person to take that moment and direct it towards recognizing my reality, but then affirming my reality as something valuable. And teachers, they're just amazing, Jen, because right. you know teachers every day hold in their hands the power to affirm a child or to make that child feel unaccepted. And so I'm just so grateful right. uh, for the teachers right. that, that inspired us uh, in the work that we do. Right. I had a, a teacher once, um, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up very rural and my parents struggled to literally keep the lights on. And, and one teacher noticed that I ate... Um, two or three apples for lunch every day, because that was what was available. And I wasn't one to raise a stink. And so I wasn't going to say to my parents how hungry I was. And she noticed and began packing an extra sandwich and she would give it to me. And no one knew to this day. I think no one knew, of course, now I'm telling all of your listeners, but it was such a classy way to see and hear me without making me feel humiliated or small or less than, and, you know, teachers do those kind of things every day without expecting any sort of, um, thank you or gratitude. And, and it is unfortunate that the, a lot of the work that teachers do, it takes years for the recipient to truly be grateful. 
And, and that's something I guess we all need to keep in mind on the days when we feel like no one appreciates us. It, it's just a slow burn. They'll, they will appreciate it. And well, I want to, I want to tell a story that's a little bit different. This is not me as a student, but the, but me as a teacher and um, the way that teachers give back to colleagues is another real piece of magic. I had, um, when I was a tiny baby, I crawled out of my cradle and smashed my mouth up and I had all these crooked teeth. I looked like a chipmunk and my sisters and brother and parents all had these wonderful, beautiful teeth. And, you know, a couple of times I expressed that maybe I'd like braces. And my dad was not only, you know, not a wealthy man, but also believed that you just make do with what you're given. Right. And I had a feeble argument that I hadn't been given these teeth. I had messed them up in an attempt to get out of the cradle, but that wasn't an option. And so when I first got a teaching job and I had a little bit of money, I wanted braces and I went and got braces. Now, the problem was they wanted to see me at the orthodontist every, you know, every three or four weeks weeks for two years or something. And I couldn't miss school for that. And this kind teacher, she taught next door to me, Kathy Albert was her name. And she would take my study center and do it without question, without guilt, without expecting a payback. And she watched over my kids while I buzzed over to Sawmill Road and got my mouth tightened up and then came back. And I, I'll never truly be able to thank her. Um, I I've tried the words and I've sent the cards and all of that, but you know, to have the confident smile that I so desperately wanted and, and it happened because of her, otherwise it would not have happened. Mm, Jen, we've worked with such great people. Yes. And you're just bringing back so many good memories of, of other teachers and principals I've worked with who, you know, when I was a young admin and I had a a site principal when I was an assistant and she was a, a mom with older kids. And so she would come up to me at ball games and say, well, you haven't been home all day and my kids are old and they take care of themselves. But so why don't you just jump in the car and head home? Cause I bet your family would like you there. Yeah. And you know, just little things like that yeah. where I was expected to be there for game supervision, but she knew that if she could take care of, of that little bit of support, it would make my day a whole lot better the next day too. And uh, so I just, I just, we just work in such a great profession. I don't know if you saw on um, this was on Twitter this week and I'll, I'll link a, I'll put a link in the show notes for principal matters listeners, but Adele recently, oh, this was just yes. a couple of days ago, Adele was at a concert and there were some Q and a times and they, someone asked her about a favorite memory and she brought up a teacher and in the audience was the teacher. And of course someone had said, had, had expected that, her to answer the question that way. And so they brought the teacher on stage who she had not seen since grade school and, oh, the tears and the reunion and just the emotion. And I could not watch it without crying. And right. I don't think there is a teacher who could, because right. it just reminds you that you have no idea the impact right. that you're making in the lives of students and fellow educators. And so principal managed listeners, as you step into this Thanksgiving holiday or Christmas or whenever you're listening to this, um, just know, in case someone hasn't told you lately, the important role that you play every single day in those little things that you do to make other people, um, other people uh, feel special and supported. Right. You know, I was out to eat about um, a month ago and our server was a former student of mine. And she said, as we wrapped up, she said, you know, I want to thank you. I feel like you were the only teacher that stuck up for me. And I said, wait, what? Well, she was a, she was a firecracker. She got in a lot of trouble and um, I had even forgotten this story, but she, 
she was facing basically perpetual detention. And I apparently said to the principal, just let me have her, just give her to me during her study center. Let me have her. And I apparently ate lunch with her every day or let her stay in my room while I puttered around and did my grades or my planning. And, you know, I I think to your point, Will, we have no idea the difference we're going to make. And now here's this young woman who I'm quite sure I'm not the only person that stuck up for her, but that's her perception that, you know, she was kind of at the end of a road and she needed literally a classroom door to open up for her. And, you know, we sometimes do those things, um, not even with a conscious endpoint, but if the endpoint is somebody walking around in the world feeling like a teacher stuck up for them, then boy, we have certainly achieved more goals even than, than we could ever hope for. Oh, that's so good. Well, Jen, I I think this might be a helpful conversation to keep in mind as we step into the first question from the list of many that you and I have been looking at from principals. And and this question just has to do with resources and supports available for kids who've experienced trauma. And I just want to say, before we jump into that question, um, I think that every educator listening to the sound of our voice and those who aren't. I think every educator around the globe and every student and every parent on this planet has endured some kind of systemic trauma because of what's happened with COVID. And as I'm speaking to principals and you are, you have these same conversations every week, Jen, the level of, of um, academic interventions and behavioral interventions that are, have been necessary this year have been really trying. And in addition to all of the additional effort that it's taking to to catch kids up or to teach kids processes or to match that maturity gap. We also have students that that aren't just experiencing the systemic trauma of what's happened because of COVID, but just also the trauma from their own lives or or even the, the difficulties that they bring in behavioral issues to schools. So one of the questions that we have is how do we get resources for kids who are experiencing so much trauma or who are having so many behavioral issues. And specifically this question wanted to know uh, from this principal, how could they support that if they don't have access to therapists or counselors in their schools? So let's go there for a few minutes. Jen, what are some thoughts that you have for principals or education leaders who are trying to resource kids who come from difficult backgrounds or who are displaying behavior issues? I'm someone that truly believes we should have counselors in every building. And I know, I know that's a big ask for a lot of our districts, especially those in rural areas with limited financial resources, those, those types of challenges. But especially in, in this day and age, we have to have a system for support for students. And too many times it falls on the principal or the assistant principal to be the counselor. And I hear principals tell me all the time, I'm not a counselor. I'm not trained to do this. And I don't know what to say, how to navigate the resources that are out in the community. I just don't know. And so what I, I often think is, it helps for principals to have those hard conversations with their district leadership about how can we reallocate financial resources to get a counselor in into the school. And as always, I say, come with solutions, not just problems. And so if there is something here or there that could be cut to support a counselor, that would be amazing. And then similarly, I think that there are a lot of resources out there in communities that can be utilized within the schools. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with a full disclosure here. Uh, 
the district I work in about 10 years ago started to partner with a counseling um, and a mental health organization. And at first I was very resistant and now I'm embarrassed to, to identify that I was resistant. I felt like our, you know, I, we had a responsibility to protect our kids, protect their stories and that the support we needed to provide them should be um, separate from an outside organization and shame on me because done well, a partnership with an outside organization or a children's services um, resource or some sort of a mental health instructional organization, those kind of partnerships can be extremely powerful if for no other reason than to give some professional development to teachers and to principals and even to parents about some of the challenges that our kids are facing these days. I agree. And Jen, you're familiar with some of the work on working with students in poverty and some of Ruby Payne's work from a long time ago too. And there's lots of other people that, that have touched on those specific areas of need, but it was really helpful for me as a young teacher to be aware of this, the resources that every child needs to be successful in school. And they include everything that you would think of in terms of Maslow's hierarchy. They need a safe place of belonging. They need a trusted adult. They need um, a lot of times they need a, either a faith or some kind of community outside of school where they can find consistent belonging. They need activities that inspire them and, and want to keep them connected to school, but they also need to be physically safe and, and fed. Um, and so sometimes those resources are available right at our fingertips because of our schools. And sometimes we don't have access to those in our communities. And so I, I like what you said initially, which is think, look, look outside your school, what is available to your community. And if something is not, then go a little farther out because sometimes you've got county resources or state resources. And of course, today with the options for virtual, um, we, we have even more resources. I know of a school in a rural part of my state where they had a difficult time finding access to school nurses. And so they set up a cooperative with one of their local hospitals so that they could do telemedicine. So they could have permission forms signed by parents in advance where a child could come into the office and an office person could Zoom or video chat with someone from that hospital who could talk to a child, make sure that they're okay. If there's something that they needed to reach out to a parent for, it became a, a, a collaborative effort between the school who may have had you know, um, a nurse, but they didn't maybe have them for every campus and this cooperative that they had where they could do virtual consultations on medicine. And I think about those things in terms of what about our communities that don't have access to therapists? Boy, during COVID, a lot of people began to access their therapists through virtual options too. And so there may be some creative ways that communities and schools can be connecting now that we didn't have before, but you don't know unless you ask. And so I, I always try to think outside the box when it comes to something that I don't have within my grasp. Right, right. That's such a good point, Will. And I also feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that sometimes there is resistance from our parents when we start to talk about mental health of their children. And of course, it's a spectrum. There's parents that are like, sign me up, <laughs> all the help I can get. But there, there does seem to be a little bit of a national conversation with, with some parents where, you know, my child's mental health is my business, not yours. And that is certainly true. 
but there is some legwork sometimes that principals have to do to make sure that parents know that this is a, um, it's a collaborative effort to make sure that the students are physically, emotionally, and socially safe, and that the more experts we can bring to the table, the better. So I, I just want to acknowledge that I spoke with a principal in, in Minnesota, actually, who said, you know, I'm, I'm now being kind of pegged as the bad guy, because I'm pushing for some more social emotional resources, and parents think I'm overstepping. And I said, well, then don't overstep, just backstep, backstep a little, and maybe have some sort of a um, small parent advisory group that helps you identify where the resistance is and what, how it would be best communicated, the intentions to help students, you know, not to parent for them, but to help their children navigate a very complicated and, and frightening world. Yeah, and let's talk for a few minutes, too, for those who do have counselors in your schools about how principals and leaders can support them. Because, Jen, I'll be frank, in my years as an AP and principal, I often didn't understand the work that counselors were doing and the essential connection that they had to the mental health of our kiddos, because so often they were also involved in our master schedules or guidance counseling for college and things like that, too. And really, it wasn't until one of my assistant principals, when I became the principal, who had been a former counselor, began to coach me and began to say, hey, Will, let's take a look at the responsibilities of our counselors before we ask them to take on this other assignment or this other responsibility. And one of the things that she did that was so powerful was she set up weekly meetings with our counseling staff and our admin team just to hear from them. How are things going? What issues do we need to be aware of? And inviting them in as essential parts of disciplinary meetings so that so that we weren't just managing discipline absent from the input of those counselors who may have had really important relationships with kids, especially if, it, if it's a situation that's involving parents or maybe even out of school discipline situations. So sometimes I think we as leaders, we we fail to recognize the power of, of the people that we have right in front of us in ways that we might be better listening and supporting them. I'm going to tell you why I love that so much frequent meetings or, or to connect with a counselor to know what they really do. I think it's easy for counselors to become dumping grounds and that's, that's no, no good, no good because counselors need to feel like they're part of a team and that their um, solutions and their support really do impact um, you know, the larger decisions that are made about the school. And I agree with you. I think, especially at the secondary level, sometimes our counselors are pigeonholed into building a schedule or creating schedules. And in a lot of ways, what they do is clerical at that point. And we have to make sure that we're honoring the other gifts that they have to share with our students. And so I, I think the first step is just like you said, learning the job and, and doing that by honoring the counselor's skill set and, you know, bringing some humility and saying, I, I don't know what you do. Please let's show me. Because um, obviously, as with anything else in education, it's most effective if done as a team. And, you know, you want to honor and respect what the counselor does, but you also want to be able to speak to their value in your organization. I, um, I, I've had wonderful relationships with my counselors and, and my approach is always stay out of their way, let them work their magic, but know what that magic is so that I'm making sure that I'm maximizing what they can bring to our students. 
Yes. And I, I would add to that conversation too. And I know these are called different things at different places, but some schools call them child care teams. Some people call them wraparound services. Some people make this a part of their intervention, their tiers of intervention, but just inviting counselors to be a part of conversations along with school admin, along with teachers who are tracking their academic process progress, along with whatever what whatever supports are necessary when you're seeing kids struggling. Because so often I think we get in silos in the work that we do. A teacher might see where a kid's struggling academically. A principal may see where a kid's struggling behaviorally. A counselor may see where they're struggling emotionally. But man, there's a lot of power when all of you can come together and, and talk and talk about students. And so that right. was another lesson I, I I learned from my admin friend who had gone from counseling to school admin was, well, let's, let's make sure that we have more people at the table when we're talking about how, the kinds of interventions that we can do with students. Because Jen, we've said this, we say this all the time, the smartest person in the room is the room. <laughs> right. And so stop trying to lead without the input of those important people who also have perspectives on kids too. Right, right. Well, Jen Schwanke, I know that in just this little bit of time that we've been talking, we've focused really on two things. One, on gratitude, which I'm so glad we started there because it just made my heart happy to, to, to sing the praises of educators who have influenced our lives, uh, but then also to touch on some of the nitty gritties of questions that principals have too. I will add one more thought to this conversation for principals who want kind of a practical, here's something you might want to do. Um, one of the steps that I took in that process of learning the, the work of my counselors, Jen, was when I had those conversations with them, I actually asked them to sit down and create a list with me of all of their key responsibilities so that I could actually see in writing, what are the things that you're managing? And in the way that my counselors did this for me was they put it in the form of, of a calendar. They said, oh, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down month by month and show you all of the things that we're responsible for from each phase and season of the school. And we worked together for several years. So this was really helpful for me. And I would keep a copy so that over time I could see as we stepped into a new season or a new week or a new month, what they were managing typically. And if I got something in the mail or a directive from the district and I was tempted to reach over and assign them something, sometimes I would because I needed help. But then sometimes I'd look at that list and go, "Mm, this is not going to be a good week to ask them to be managing this when I've already, when they're already managing this. And so principal managers, listeners, you know, at the end of the day, everyone that you're serving has responsibility areas that make their job unique, including your own. And I think the more we can understand our teams and the people that are on them, um, the better that we can be at supporting the needs of students too. So as you step into your next week, and for some of you, that might mean some rest. For some of you, it might mean playoff games, or some of you, it might mean travel, whatever it is. Please remember that uh, we are grateful for you and the work that you do because what you do matters. And we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you soon, everyone. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.